Well, good morning. We are going to be in Philippians chapter three today. So if you brought a Bible, um, go ahead and crack it open to Philippians three. If you did not, there is a Bible that should be somewhere near you, either in the pew in front of you or somewhere next to you. If you have the New American Standard Bible translation, and about half of the Bibles in our pews are that translation, if you have that, I want to draw your attention to the summary statement of the, that the translators put into this text to give us a description of what Philippians 3 is all about. So if you have the New American Standard Bible, you will notice that the translators put as a title to this chapter, the goal of life. You know, simple, small talk kind of stuff. No, but in all seriousness, that is what Philippians 3 is about. It is about the goal of life. We're gonna begin in verse seven and just work our way through to verse 14. So that's the strategy. Before we get started, I would like to pray with you because we have to refresh ourselves, remind ourselves that it is truly only God who can make his word clear to us. He's the only one that can do this. So I would like to go uh, to him in prayer with you and ask him to do that. Would you pray with me? Uh, dear God, we are all here, every one of us here are sitting underneath the authority of your good word. So Holy Spirit, in this time that we are gonna spend looking into this text, we invite you and ask you where there may be some rough edges in the delivery or the way that we understand, in the power that only you have, would you smooth those things out, make them clear to us so that the truth of your word could penetrate our hearts and our minds and impact our life. God, you can do this. We ask you, we beg you to do this in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen. Philippians 3 is something of a testimony. So in order to get the full impact of this testimony, I want to tell you a little bit about who wrote it and what the circumstances were. Philippians, the book that is called Philippians in your Bible, is a letter. It was a letter written to a first century Christian church. First century Christian church, and it was written by the apostle and the evangelist, Paul. Now, Paul at this point in his life is in jail. He has been preaching the gospel, he's been teaching about Jesus, and he's wound up in the clink. Um, he is well along in life as well. He is probably within five years of his own martyrdom, so think a gentleman in his mid to late 50s, early 60s. But mostly important, at near the end of his life, we have to acknowledge and remember something here, that he has been on many missionary journeys. He has witnessed many miracles, and he has planted many churches. It would be hard to exaggerate the impact that Paul had. I wanna show you two sentences. This is off of the historical archive that the BBC has, British Broadcasting Corporation, and they have something of a web archive. As I was researching Paul, I came across the summary of him. This is a summary statement on the impact of the Apostle Paul. Now, mind you, this is not a Christian reference. This is a straight-up historical assessment on the impact of the Apostle Paul. St. Paul is undoubtedly one of the most important figures in the history of the Western world. 
just a quick look at the headlines of his life are enough to understand his impact. This is important for us to understand because see the headlines of Paul's life, he had accomplished much and up until the point in our text, Paul has communicated, he's, he has said, hey, let me tell you a little bit about who I am and he has listed his credentials. He has pointed out to his recipients of his letter his accomplishments prior to becoming a Christian. He wasn't always a Christian. Prior to becoming a Christian, he has said, These, this is my accomplishments, here's what I have, and they are significant. Then, Paul makes this bold statement. We begin in verse seven of Philippians three. But whatever things were gained to me, things here, whatever things, this is his accomplishments and his credentials. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. What a testimony. What a testimony. It is humbling to read something like that. Count it all as loss. It is humbling. May God grant us all the kind of faith to be able to make a testimony like that. Which is the point. That's why I'm standing here right now. We have to understand something about our text this morning, church, which is that God is speaking to us through Paul. Paul's testimony is not intended to be admired or even dissected as much as it is to be applied. Applied. How we interpret the Bible really matters. And I'm here to tell you, these verses that we're looking at, this particular testimony is designed, intended to be applied to our own lives. Think this. Could I make such a testimony? So from here on in, this is how we're gonna examine our texts. We're gonna examine it as an example to be applied to our lives. Back to Philippians. Uh, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted loss. I've counted all things of loss in view of the surpassing value. Now look, notice, God is not asking you to ditch what is gained to you. That is not what he said. God is asking you to count it as loss. Count it as loss, how? Because of the view. The view. Through, Jody, do we have that slide? Through the eyes of faith, to truly see the precious and never-ending riches of knowing Jesus Christ is to logically conclude everything I could acquire and become in this life is worth losing to gain. To get to gain. And there's a bit of irony here too, isn't there? We gain Jesus, we gain a savior, Christ himself, who willingly and purposefully lost more to get you. Paul continues here, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ 
and may be found in him. So let's review. We're gonna count it all as loss to gain Jesus, a savior who lost everything to gain us, and we count it all as loss to gain Jesus, a message God delivers to us through a man who did. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, Paul says, Paul lost it all. He lost his reputation, he lost his money, he lost his job, he lost his health to a certain extent. Paul had to give up these things to gain Christ. He had to. You, us, we might not have to. I want to ask you a question. I I want you to evaluate this all on your own. Um, We want to apply this to our life, so we're going to take our temperature on this concept. All right, look, which of the two concepts that we've been talking about, we've been talking about loss and gain, all right, uh, which one of these two concepts has captured your attention? Which one has kind of knocked on the door of your heart? Is it the gain? Is the gain more beautiful? Or is the counting as loss more upsetting? Is the gain more beautiful or is the counting as lost more upsetting? Look, I am a human being too. I do not want to lose everything and I have no problems standing right here looking you right in the eye and saying, I pray at least once a day, if not more, I will plead with God to protect and to keep the people that I love the most who happen to be sitting right over here. I, I do that every day. This is Tough stuff, I know. This is difficult to hear. Look, we're 10 minutes into this beautiful Father's Day weekend at church. We've cracked open our Bibles and we're looking into it and God's looking right back at us and saying, hey, hey, be willing to lose everything to get me. But look, we are essentially assessing the value of two things and comparing them. Don't miss that. The value of what we could get, what we could accomplish in this life versus the value of knowing Jesus Christ throughout eternity. Look at the language Paul's using. He's he's using language. He's counting as lost and he's assessing the value in view of the value. About this view. Okay, as your worship pastor, I take very seriously the effort and the responsibility we all have to see Jesus clearer, to see him as powerful, to see him as beautiful. Do you know why? Because as you see Jesus clearer, the things of this world that might otherwise seduce you lose their sparkle. Seeing Jesus clearer is growing in your faith. If, if you receive a clear enough revelation of Jesus Christ, are you gonna believe in him more or less? Are you gonna be more willing to risk for him or less willing to risk for him? Now, Paul has been able to endure something of a worst case scenario in the counted all as lost department, agreed? But he doesn't even take credit for the faith required to endure it. Paul continues and clarifies how he is even able to make such a bold statement of faith. From verse nine, 
not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That. Okay, now we're gonna step into something new. And we're gonna look at what I am calling for our purposes this morning, God's goal list. God's goal list. Paul continues. We count as loss all things, the review, in view of knowing Christ with faith that God gives that I may know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to or arrive at the resurrection from the dead. And that, my friends, is the goal of life. Resurrection from the dead. The gain is Jesus himself. The result, the goal, is resurrection. I want to take a couple minutes and we're going to review my list here. Well, it's not mine, actually. This is God's goal list. Notice, number one, number two, number three, and number four up here are all things God intends for us to strive to attain right now. These are not future activities. Knowing Christ, knowing the power of his resurrection, fellowship in his sufferings, conformity to his death, right now. Does anybody have a problem with the order of that list? Would you take note that number two, the power of his resurrection is listed before conformity to his death? Do you know why that is? Because God intends for you to know and experience the power of his resurrection right now. Right now. This is in some way, I feel that we fail, kind of, and culturally, the way we exercise our Christianity, because you see, resurrection to us, death and resurrection to us, is something that happens down the road, especially if you're young. Down the road, and you know what that is? You know what you're essentially doing? You're pushing God away from you. That is a stiff arm to the power of God, because God wants to begin the process of resurrecting you right now. One more thought on counting loss, as counting is loss, and then we're gonna go back to our goal list. God asks us to consider as loss earthly things, temporary things. And then, okay, anybody ever hear anybody, uh, you can't take that with you. Like, don't value that too, Hallie. You can't take that with you. Earthly things, things we can't take with us. And then we are comparing them to the eternal to the glorious heavenly things God offers us in return. So I want to answer this. Is it worth it? Yes! Yes! Resurrection, Jesus, is far more beautiful than loss is upsetting by a long shot. Look, I understand. This is tough stuff. I've already mentioned that. This is something that's easy to comprehend, hard to apply. Easy to comprehend, hard to apply. Let me just level it out on an intellectual basis. Okay, here's the, here's the trade. Would you really trade 
temporary power? Would you really trade temporary pleasure? Would you trade some sort of magnificent flattery for an eternity with God in heaven? Are you gonna make that trade? No, no. All right, I'm gonna say this, summarize it this way. I believe this is what God wants us to hear on this topic altogether. Are you ready? If it comes down to it, let your stuff go. If it comes down to it, let your stuff go. Jesus is worth it. Now, I challenge you, um, back to our goal list, I was in sales for a little while, and in sales, uh, you talk about goals maybe more often than you do in other lines of work. Reach the goal, get to the goal, talk about the goal, what's your goal? And as I was preparing this message and I put together God's little goal list here, I couldn't help but kind of have some fun in my imagination about that. I thought, I didn't have time, but I wanted to swing by like, like a bookstore and go to that behemoth of a self-help section. You know, it's like it's, like its own building and, and pick up a bestseller and, you know, flip through that thing and see what, where their goal lists were. Okay, what, what, what's the goal? How do I form my goals? And then compare it to that list. You know, you're at a, you're at a sales meeting. You're waiting for it to get started. You're kind of shooting the breeze with some of your colleagues, and you're like, hey, Bill. Yeah? Well, look, check this out. I got my new self-help book here. Yeah? Cool. Yeah, look at my goal list. Okay. Number five. Yeah, I resurrect from the dead. But that is God's goal list. God can do those things. God can do those things. Okay, knowing Jesus, amen. The power of his resurrection, we touched on that briefly. That's the power that God wants to experience right now to make you come alive. But before we move on, I do believe we need some clarification on number three and number four because that's gonna help us more fully understand number five and number two. So what is this fellowship of his sufferings? What is this being conformed to his death? Okay, number three. We're gonna start here. What is fellowship of his sufferings? Jesus is our teacher, agreed? We are to follow him. Jesus himself said, if anyone were to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Follow, we are to actively pursue him. Where? Where did Jesus' life take him? To ministering, to teaching, caring, restoring, healing. These are all the things that we are trying to accomplish here as a church family. Because Jesus, as our example, commissioned us to do all of these things. But ultimately, where did Christ's life lead him? To death and resurrection. So in Christ, to endure, to suffer, as Paul says here, to suffer is to have fellowship with Jesus. Because that is what Jesus did. Jesus redeemed you through his own suffering. To struggle is to have fellowship with Jesus. 
Don't let that depress you because it's not the end of our list for starters. And secondly, don't forget, fellowship with Christ is the very glory that Paul points to as saying it's worth to get that. I'll lose all this. I, I want fellowship with Jesus Christ. Suffering produces fellowship. Fellowship grows relationship. And relationship with Jesus is more valuable than anything you can attain in this world. That is fellowship of his sufferings. Number four on our goal list, conformed to his death. Okay, this is how God makes things new. God does not tweak us. When God makes something new in us, what it replaces dies. When God makes something new in you, what it replaces dies. See, God's process of renewal for you is different than anything you've ever heard of. I guarantee it. This is, not, um, this is not wishful thinking or discipline of mind. This is death and resurrection. God does not negotiate or dress up what is death in you. This is something dying and something coming alive. Only God can do that. And this idea is summarized well in 2 Corinthians. Look at this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And what do we call something that was dead and is found to be alive? Resurrected. Resurrected. Now, Paul continues in verse 12 um, with a very specific piece of advice, application, even a technique, if you will, with which we arrive and attain resurrection from the dead. Here we go. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that. Pause. The it and the that in this statement is our goal list. It's the goal list. Not that I have already attained that list, God's goal list, or I have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of God's goal list. For which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. To lay hold of in this sense, in this scripture, also means to possess. Jesus does not temporarily lay hold of you. When Jesus grabs you, he owns you. He bought you with his blood. There is nothing and there is no one who can take you away from him. Nothing. Allow that to comfort you if you ever feel like you've gone off into the weeds, if you feel like you're, you're no longer within his playground, he still has you. Now, a little personal testimony. This particular verse that we're looking at here is a verse that has struck me from when I was very young. I, I can't even trace back to the beginning of the time where I remember saying in my own head 
all right, Michael, we're gonna press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. It's just always been in there. Upon further review of that sentiment, I would like to point out this. What that means, Jesus took possession of me to resurrect me. Jesus takes possession of us to resurrect us. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. I am grateful for this part. Look at the beginning of verse 12. Look at the beginning of verse 13. And we can all breathe a nice sigh of relief because Paul has stated now twice, in case we missed it the first time, yeah, I, I ain't there yet. This is Paul. This is a man with mountain of credentials and faith and works and love and miracles. And he is saying, and just as he's going to miss it the first time, look, I am not there yet. That is all of us. So in case you were beginning to feel two inches tall with all this resurrection talk, welcome back. (laughs) Paul hasn't attained it, neither have we, but we are pressing on towards it. Okay, but one thing I do. Yes, please. I would love some advice right about now, God. What do I do? Have you ever asked that question? You know, this actually comes to me quite often. I don't know if it's a pastor thing or what, but in um, interacting with people, um, a lot of the times, it's not the concepts that we struggle with. We learn what God has to say to us. We examine them. We make some conclusions. But the question I get specifically from young people sit across the table, they go, but but what do I do? Like, what do I do? Like, when when I get up from this lunch table, what do I do? Ever asked yourself that question? Good, because God's about to answer it. So listen up. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is having a singular experience. He's having one thing, but one thing I do, a singular experience that he explains using two verbs, two actions. God is telling us there's one thing I want you to do. We can understand it in terms of two actions, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. One experience, two components. We're gonna take these one at a time. Okay, forgetting what lies behind. I wanna give you three warnings on how we do not wanna interpret forgetting what's behind, and then we're gonna have one big application on what that means. So first, we do not wanna forget what's behind in terms of forgetting the historical significance of our faith. Christianity is a historical faith. Our biggest parties are commemorations of facts of history. The crucifixion happened. The resurrection happened. God birthed his church 40 days later. That happened. And the reason I bring that up is because um, this has been lost a little bit today. It is quite popular this day and age to consider Christianity to be something that it's not. So let me help us. Christianity is not, it is not a groundless set of principles that bend and shift 
with the bending and shifting opinions we have of ourselves. We have the roots of our faith in historical fact. And we are to not forget, we're not canceling Christmas Eve candlelight, for example, because we're going to commemorate that. We're going to remember that. The second way we're not forgetting what is behind. Look, Paul is writing to believers here, to believers in Jesus Christ. Without the forgiveness we receive from Jesus, we should be definitely and very and deeply concerned about what is behind us. Because someday we will then need to give an account for what we have done. God is just. Evil will not go unpunished. Receiving Jesus as your savior saves you from that punishment. In fact, God has saved untold numbers of people by allowing the weight of their past sin to compel them to find a savior. That's like God tradecraft. That's how he gets the job done. Third way we don't uh, interpret forgetting what is behind. We don't want to do this. We don't want to forget who we are. We are not forgetting who we are and who we have been made to be. Our identity as sinners redeemed through the sacrificial death and glorious resurrection of Jesus should never be set aside, should never be far from our hearts and our minds. That takes center stage in the Christian life. Okay, so if, if forgetting what is behind is not those three things, what is it? It's this. Stop caring for what's behind. Stop caring for what's behind, as in stop taking care of what's behind. One step further, it is stop taking care of what is behind you. Does anybody here have a lawn? Everybody's a little hesitant to raise their hands because like this time of year, because is somebody going to make me mow it? What? <laughs> anybody have a pet or a plant? Now, when you go to the store, you're going into your store, and you're, you're going to the place in that store where they keep all the gear that you need to care for your lawn or your pet or your plant. What do they call that section of the store? They call it what? Lawn, pet, okay. As in the opposite of neglecting, neglecting. This is neglecting your past. This is, you are not, you're not trimming that tree anymore. You're not watering that past. God is saying to you right now, stop taking care of the past that God has already forgiven you for. Stop nurturing it. Stop feeding it. Definitely stop cherishing it. Stop reliving it. I could go on. Maybe you're thinking what I'm missing. Ready? It's like stop it. Fill in the blank. If you are a believer, forgiveness has already been applied. It has already removed what is behind you. You are probably going to remember what you did, what you said. And I, I'm not even saying that you won't have to deal with it. 
But what I am saying is you can stop caring for it. You can stop feeding it. Let me give you an example. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, I'm laughing before I even say anything. Occasionally, my wife and I disagree. <laughs> this, is, this is true. Does that shock you? So if, if my wife and I disagree on occasion, yet I am still married. That is evidence of the fact that to some degree, Marla and I have learned how to settle or resolve disagreements. At times, I have to admit I was wrong. Forgiveness needs to be applied. I may go to my wife and I have to say this, Marla, I am sorry. I need forgiveness. Marla can and has on many occasions offered me forgiveness in language that is quite popular. I know it is because I hear you offer forgiveness to one another using this exact same language quite frequently. Marla, I seek forgiveness from you. Marla might just say to me, forget it. We are no longer going to dwell on that. Forgetting what is behind is the conscious decision to top, stop taking care of the past that God has already forgiven you for. Take a minute and enjoy the grace in that. God is not dwelling in your past. Neither should you. God does not count your past sins against you. And in offering forgiveness is saying to you, forget it. Press on. Forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead. Your heart cannot care for the past that God has forgiven you for and be reaching for the prize. Remember, it is one thing exp explained using two things. You understand how this is one concept? You can't be caring for this and reaching forward to the prize that God has set in, set in front of you. A house divided cannot stand. A heart divided can't either. All right, reaching forward. Well, take a look at this. Reaching forward is this. It's a term that would be used to describe someone in a race straining, reaching for a goal line. And this is pretty self-explanatory. How well are you going to do in the race if as you run, you're continually trying to get a better view of the starting line? You're not going to do so well in that one. And you're, you're reaching forward, you're straining towards a goal. Hey, did you know that the Apostle Paul was something of a sports fan? No. The Apostle Paul, the great Paul, was a sports fan. You're welcome, fellas. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> Moving on. We are reaching, though, towards a particular goal in a particular direction. So when you see reaching forward in your Bible, I want you to remember that's not just the act of reaching for something. That is the act of reaching for a particular goal. 
God determines the goal. God gives the prize. The goal is resurrection into heaven. The prize is reward in heaven. Now this is counterintuitive. Don't just gloss this over. I just told you that God determines the goal. Most people you encounter in your life will not tell you that. Well, let's sit down and take a look at what you have here and how things are going and we can make a plan and a path and we'll, you know, and then we go, let's assess what your goal should be. I'm here to tell you the ultimate goal, the final goal of your life, God has told you what it is. It's resurrection. Straining towards anything gets you nowhere. Don't make the mistake of pressing on towards the wrong prize. Far, far too many people have forgotten what's behind them and are passionate about the wrong prize. So we're not perfect, but one thing we're gonna do, we're gonna stop caring for this mess and we're gonna reach towards the goal that God himself has designated, the goal, the prize. This same principle is laid out another way in Hebrews chapter 12. Take a look. Let us also set aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Theologian D. Thomas, Derek Thomas, uh, describes this one thing, describes forgetting what is behind and reaching forward. He, he writes this. It is a comparative obliviousness to the past and a concentrated struggle for the future. Struggle, work, effort. Paul, uh, sorry, John MacArthur, in teaching on this passage, on this one thing, said this. The let go and let God mentality was foreign to Paul. He was totally dependent on God's power working in his life, yet he also described the Christian life as labor and striving and the good fight of faith. He taught that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God and repeatedly stressed the inevitability of suffering in the Christian life. I don't wanna fool, I'm not trying to fool you or mislead you. Forgetting what is behind and straining on, reaching forward, will not magically remove your struggle. But it can give your struggle direction. Direction. As a believer in Jesus Christ, heaven is a guarantee for you you will arrive at resurrection someday. Now, I had mentioned earlier about our list, God's goal list. We looked at one, two, three, four, and five. Number two was this power of his resurrection. Number five was resurrection from the dead. I had mentioned that yes, God is interested in having you experience the power of his resurrection in your life right now. 
I wanna summarize this for you. If the concept of resurrection has seemed distant, let me put it right in your lap. The future certainty of our physical resurrection into eternity is reflected in God's continual work in resurrecting us into the likeness of Jesus one degree of glory at a time. The future certainty of our physical resurrection into eternity is reflected in God's continual work in resurrecting us into the likeness of Jesus one degree of glory at a time. Are you dwelling on something to the degree that is keeping you, keeping you absent from the future that God has for you? Are your past sins disabling you? Binding you? Are you in a dark place? Are you buried? Do you know what God calls that? Death. That is death in the eyes of God. If that's you, and look, if it's not you right now, it probably has been at some point and will be in the future. This applies to all of us. Look, if your heart is wounded, if you're distracted, if you're unable to break out of something, if you're bound and buried, I want you to listen to me very carefully. God is not doing that to you. God is not doing that to you. God is inviting you to stop caring for the past he has already forgiven you for and to reach forward to new life with him. I can't say it any better than Romans. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. But present yourself to God as those, say that with me, alive from the dead. Michael, alive from the dead. Do you want to do that with me? It's going to be kind of campy, but would you actually say your first name and then say Elias from the dead? I'll, I'll, I'll kind of conduct this. It's my, it's my trade craft. I'll conduct this in. You ready? Your first name, Elias from the dead. Go. One, two, three. Michael, Elias from the dead. Okay, that was okay, but if we're going to do this again, I kind of want, you know, it's like, can we like Megos? Ooh. Can I even say that word? That just flew out. No, but I'm gonna say this with some strength because don't forget what we're talking about here. We're talking about a certain future resurrection that as believers we know is coming, but I'm trying to knock on the heart, on your mind and say, look, that power is available to you right now. Say your name, alive from the dead, one, two, three. Michael, alive from the dead. Lazarus. Oh. <laughs> I'm losing control, I'm losing control. <laughs> Mission control. Lazarus, come out. Do those words sound familiar to you? If there was any doubt that Jesus has the power to resurrect you, he demonstrated it for us clearly and publicly. Jesus called a dead man out of his grave. How did he do it? 
Did he like have a magic potion or I don't know, was, was he kneeling in some position? No, it had nothing to do with it. He simply called him out. Now, it's your turn. Have you not heard? Death has been defeated. There is no barrier between your tomb and eternal life to new life. Jesus broke that barrier long ago. Come alive. There is a God standing outside of your tomb with limitless forgiveness. Here's a summary of future resurrection and day-to-day resurrection. I hope you take this with you. As you await your certain future resurrection, you are resurrecting. God took possession of you, and he is resurrecting you. I want to say that one more time with a stinger. As you await your certain future resurrection, you are resurrecting. If not, you're spectating. Get in the game. There's a race going on. The power of his resurrection is the power to make you brand new. Resurrection is not something that happens when you die. Resurrection is not, you would never use the word resurrection to describe death, would you? Resurrection happens when you live again. I want to wrap up by allowing you, allowing all of us, to make a testimony similar to Paul's. That's been kind of the point. The very last verse of our passage is something of a summary statement. So, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have saving faith, if you know that heaven is your certain future, I want you to declare loud and clear for everybody in this room and everybody with us online right now where you stand on this. It's up there. Are we ready? Uh, you know what? Let's stand. You, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna speak a little stronger if you're standing, okay? I want to give you the opportunity to let everybody here know that. Go ahead. I, I 